Morning, Kingsway. You guys are crazy, and I love it. I was sitting there uh, watching Roy. I thought, man, that guy's creative. And I thought, this bunch is competitive. And I was glad to see y'all taking so long to hug and love one another because I thought, man, as competitive as they are, we need the love of Christ. But what a joy and that we can be together. And what a joy to worship the Lord. And, and I want to welcome uh, those from the Scout Troop that are here. Grateful that you're able to be here at Kingsway today. Um, we just want to worship the Lord together. We've been going through the book of Ecclesiastes, and we're at chapter 9, verses 1 through 10. And we're going to talk about the matter of life and death. You know, guys, we are a people who are really attracted to the popular people, the people who are famous and and the people who are very talented and the people that are sizzling hot attractive, right? And, and so we're interested about their lives. And, you know, there's popular magazines like Life and popular magazines like People, but, you know, you don't see magazines instead of Life named Death or Dying Today. I really want to know about dying today. Or instead of people, corpses. You know, that's really not where our hearts go. But as we look at this section of Scripture, we look at the point that death is part of life. And so we take some time to look at that this morning. Um, because guys, we... You know, the Bible says that all of us start out, God made us from the dust of the earth... And that eventually these bodies of ours are headed back to dust till God calls us up and raises us back together. And it made me think of a little boy who, after church, he said to the preacher, he said, so let me get this straight, preacher. You said that we all came from dust, and you said that one day we're all going to, going, going back to dust. He said, you need to come to my house and you need to look under my bed. He said, because when you see all that dust, somebody's either coming or going. And you know, as you look at life itself, we, we come, we're born, God brings us to this place, but we're also headed out, headed back. And so turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 9, we're going to look at the first 10 verses, and I want to ask you to stand in God's honor as I read aloud from the Scriptures, Ecclesiastes 9, 1 through 10. So I reflected on all this and concluded that the righteous and the wise and what they do are in God's hands. But no man knows whither love or hate awaits him. All share a common destiny. The righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, the clean and the unclean, those who offer sacrifices and those who do not. And it is with the good man, so with the sinner, as it is with those who take oaths, so with those who are afraid to take them. This is the evil in everything that happens under the sun. The same destiny overtakes all. The hearts of men, moreover, are full of evil, and there is madness in their hearts while they live, and afterward they join the dead. Anyone who is among the living has hope. Even a live dog is better off than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. 
They have no further reward, and even the memory of them is forgotten. Their love, their hate, and their jealousy have long since vanished. Never again will they have a part in anything that happens under the sun. Go, eat your food with gladness, and drink your wine with a joyful heart, for it is now that God favors what you do. Always be clothed in white, and always anoint your head with oil. Enjoy life with your wife, whom you love, all the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun. All your meaningless days. For this is your lot in life and in your toilsome labor under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For in the grave where you're going, there is neither working nor planning nor knowledge nor wisdom. Let's pray. Master, as we come to you, Lord, we're needy. And God, we need to hear from you, Lord. Father, it's certainly not about any of us who are here. And God, sometimes we think that we're here, God, um, to be consumers and to receive something. But God, that's not true. God, we are here to give something. And that is praise to You. Because You are the one who is worthy, O God. You are worthy of our full attention and You're worthy of our full praise. And God, I'm certainly not able to clearly speak Your Word unless Your Holy Spirit fills me, God. And I just pray for an anointing of Your Spirit. and I pray that You help me to think clearly and to speak clearly. And, and God, that You might just work. And Lord, You've been working through this service and I praise You for that. And I just ask that You continue, God, that Your Spirit not be hindered. Uh, Father, you need to speak to our hearts and we need to hear. And so, Lord, have your way this time that's left to bring you glory and to bring you praise. In your name we pray. Amen. Death. These first six verses speak clearly about death and that it's a common destiny, guys. Solomon says he reflected on all this and and he concluded in verse 1, the righteous and the wise and what they are in God's hands. But then he goes on, he says, no man knows whether love or hate awaits him, that there's a common destiny. There's a common destiny known as death. And part of our calling is to live a life with as little regret as possible. The fact that we are sinners and in such incredible need of a Savior means that we do have regrets. But God wants those regrets to be few. He wants us to know Him and to walk with Him. You know, I heard this story of these three guys and and, uh, they were sitting with a spiritual leader, you know, and he says, uh, he says, guys, let's just imagine it's your funeral and your body is laid there in front of the church. And everybody out there is is weeping and they're thinking about you. What do you want to hear this preacher say? What do you want to hear the people who are there? What would you like to hear them say about you? The first guy said, I'd like to hear him say, well, you know, he's a good man. He does a good job in the community and, and, and he cares about people. And the second guy said, man, I'd like to hear him say he's a good family man. And that he he cares about his kids and his wife. And then they asked the third guy, what do you want to hear him say? And he says, look, he's moving. <laughs> Death is kind of scary. But it's inevitable. We can't bypass that meeting. 
It tells us in the book of Hebrews, for it is appointed unto man to die and to face the judgment. Guys, that is coming. It is coming. And we will face it. If we build our life on this place, we're going to be disappointed because this is a place of transition. This is not our final place of life. And and then we get in verse 2, and we see that death has no favoritism. Um, It says, all share common destiny, the righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, the clean, the unclean, those who offer sacrifices and those who do not. As it is with a good man, so with a sinner. As it is with those who hate oaths, so with those who are afraid to take them. Guys, death is coming. Woody Allen said, I'm not afraid of death, I just don't want to be there when it happens. Well, guess what? <laughs> um, you'll be there when it happens. You know, there were two thieves on the cro- on crosses next to Jesus. And one thief cursed Jesus. He was bitter. The other one looked at Jesus and he said, Master, you did nothing wrong. Have mercy on men. Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. And you know, we have that choice. We can either leave God out of our lives, or we can take a good look at Him and say, God, I want you in my life. I want you to be a part of my life. And that's the way to face life, is by knowing how to face death. Now, I want to read to you, this is from Billy Graham's book, Peace with God, and it's seven men, their last words, men who love the Lord. Uh, first one's Matthew Henry. He, uh, he wrote, Sin is bitter. I bless God that I have inward supports. Man, I love that. Inward supports. Uh, Martin Luther said, Our God is the God from whom cometh salvation. God is the Lord by whom we escape death. He is our escape hatch, guys. John Knox said, Live in Christ, live in Christ, and the flesh need not fear death. John Wesley, The best of all is God is with us. Farewell, farewell. Richard Baxter, I have pain, but I have peace. I have peace. William Carey, the missionary, wrote, When I am gone, speak less of Dr. Carey and more of Dr. Carey's Savior. Now think about this, this is their closing remarks, their last words before death. Adoniram Judson, I'm not tired of my work, neither am I tired of the world, yet when Christ calls me home, I shall go with the gladness of a boy bounding away from school. Why why is there an excitement there? Because these people had caught sight of the Savior. Just like that thief, as, as he knew who he was, he knew his sin, he was aware of it, but he looked at Jesus and he saw Jesus. <laughs> and he said, Lord, I need your forgiveness, I need your help. And Jesus said, you got it, today you'll be with me in paradise. And you see guys, the truth of the matter is, death is not all there is. It is simply a transition from one place to another place. And the Bible's clear about this, it tells us, that when we go through this thing called death, there's still life. And so the question that is of importance is where am I going to transition to? What's my destination? Where am I headed? There is a epitaph in a graveyard. Uh, it's probably my favorite one. 
And the story goes that this uh, hobo found it. And he laid down beside it and he read it and it said, uh, As you now are, so once was I. As I am now, so once you'll be. Follow me, said that old hobo. He took out his pocket knife and etched in that tombstone beside it. To follow you, I'm not content until I know which way you went. And, and you know what, guys? It's a personal matter that no one else can decide for you. What are you going to do with Jesus? Are you going to personally look to Him for your hope? Because He's the one who's the answer to this issue of death. Either you look to Jesus or you don't. And, and that is so critical. And, and there is so much misinformation that floats around about death and about what happens after death. But the true source is the Scriptures. Is the Bible. And um, in verses 3 and 4, we see misconceptions that are given here by Solomon who is very cynical as he writes this, obviously. Um, he writes, verse 3, This is evil and everything that happens under the sun. The same destiny overtakes all. The hearts of men, moreover, are full of evil. There's madness in their hearts while they live. Afterward, they join the dead. Anyone who is among the living has hope. Even a live dog is better off than a dead lion. So, in other words, a person who's without God... You know, there's a concept that floats around for those that push God out that says, you know, when you die, there's nothing else. That's it. It's over. You just lay there and you, you know, that's it. That's not what the Scripture teaches. And there's a misconception that there's no hope. It's a hopeless place to be, a, a hopeless state. And there's no more. But you know what it says in the Scriptures? To be absent from the body is to be present. With the Lord. That's critical. That's what God said. Um, I love the story of the uh, little boy who's out on the beach with his dad. And he, he, he runs, he's four years old, he runs, he grabs his dad, he pulls him over to this dead seal that's laying on the beach. And he, he's crying, he says, Daddy, what happened? He said, Son, he went to heaven. The little boy looked down at this dead seagull. He looked up in the sky and he said, Did God throw him back? <laughs> There's some misconceptions out there. When we die, is that it? Or are we just going to be stuck in the ground and it's over? No. That's not what we are taught. It is not a time of hopelessness. But the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15 that... If not for the resurrection of Christ, it's all useless. It's all futile. And we're to be pitied. But that's not what happened. Jesus is alive. Man, He rose from that grave. And He lives. And He lives in all those who call upon Him. It says, yet to all those who believed in His name, to those who received Him, He gave the right to become His kids, His children, children of God. And that's what He does, guys. And, and, and that's His heart. In verse 5, you know, there's no awareness, you know, you're better off to be alive than dead. And, and no, no, there's no such thing as, as real death, it's the end. Um, it moves to life. Life that's forever. Um, throw me to Luke 16, quickly here. Uh, Jesus tells a story, speaks about the fact 
that there is a consciousness and there is an awareness after death. It's uh, labeled in my Bible, the rich man and Lazarus. I'm going to start here at verse 19 and read through here quickly. It says, There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores, and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In hell where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. Man, this was a guy and all he cared about was getting more stuff and becoming more famous. And he passed this beggar every day and he didn't even notice him. The guy had sores and he had needs and his heart was cold. And so when he died, he missed God and he missed heaven. And he went to a place when God's left out called hell. And it says that he was in torment. And he said, if you could just send just someone to dip their finger and, and, and to give me some kind of relief. And he said, I can't do it. Matter of fact, uh, as we read on here, he, he discusses that. Um, he says, son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he's comforted here and you're in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house. For I have five brothers, warn them so they'll not also come to this place of torment. You see, there's once you die, that's it. Now's the time. Now's the time to look to Christ. Now's the time to go to the right destination and to, and to miss what awaits for those who reject God and don't choose Him. Now's the time. He says, he said, what about my brothers? It's not too late for them. Go to them. And, and, you know, he wants some miracle. He wants some clear way. But I want you to notice what he says here. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes, then they'll repent. He said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. In other words, he said, the Holy Spirit is adequate. When the Holy Spirit speaks to a heart, that's enough. And either you listen to the Holy Spirit or you close your heart to the Holy Spirit, but that's it. And don't miss the voice of God. Don't miss His Holy Spirit. When He talks to you, don't close Him off. Don't become hardened. But hear, listen, or you'll miss Him. You'll miss Him. And guys, you know, Jesus said clearly through this story, it is a real place. And we are conscious after death. And either you're in a place with God that's a place meant for you, it's a home He's prepared for you, or you're in a place where God's not, and it's a place of suffering. And He doesn't want anybody to have to be there. But He's provided the way out. And we have to choose what we're going to do. Paul said to live as Christ, to die is gain. But without Christ, it's not gain. Now, I have to move on here. We've been talking about death, but in verses 7 through 10, he talks about living. He talks about living. He says, um, Go, eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart, for it is now that God favors what you do. It's not by accident. The Scripture here begins with the word go. 
Man, God's saying, you need to choose to live. There's a lot of people who are paralyzed. And they, they have such deep regrets that they don't live. Man, I talked to a guy last week that God is breaking him. And it's a good thing because there, he needs to be broken for there to be some things fixed in his life. And he told me, he said, I've been doing a job. He said, when I went there, I didn't think I'd last a month. I've been there 28 years. And he said, I don't know what happened. I'm still there 28 years later. And that can happen to you guys. If you just sit there and you don't go in obedience to God, you can miss life and it can pass you by because it keeps moving whether you move or not. Kind of like the story of the, the centipede, you know, and the, the other insect came up to him and said, which leg do you move first? And he said, uh, I don't know. And he got to thinking about it and then he couldn't move. Because he got to thinking about it too much. Which leg do I move first? I got a hundred. What do I do? That can happen. We can be paralyzed if we think too much about what if I do this? What if I do that? What did I do? God empowers us just to go. To follow and to go and to move. You know, I, I love the story about the animals. They had this football game. Big animals and little animals and insects. Big animals were killing them. Second half started. The elephant got the ball and he started running. Bam! He's tackled. Looks around. What happened? Tiger gets the ball, takes off. Bam! He's tackled. Man! Nobody stopped us in the first half. What's going on? Rhino gets the ball, goes to the yard. Bam! He's tackled. He's what in the world? Looks down, there's this little centipede. <laughs> Laying there, he says, Did you tackle me? He goes, Yep. He says, Man! He says, I tackled the other ones too. He said, Where were you in the first half? He said, Tying my shoes. Life can pass us by while we're tying our shoes. While we're tying our shoes. Alright, I'm going to look at, um, I know we're already over time here, but there are three areas here where joy needs to flow out of our lives. And let's look at these um, in the text here. Uh, the first area, verse 7, is with your meals. He says, Go, eat your food with gladness, and drink your wine with a joyful heart. For it is now that God favors what you do. You don't know how many meals you're going to have. So he says, um, enjoy your food. Now, I don't want you to say, the preacher said, don't worry about the calorie content or the sodium or your cholesterol. Just eat it up. The preacher said, I'm supposed to run to the best buffet in town and live. Fully live. No, that's not mean, but I do want to read this to you. I ran across this several years ago. You know the 23rd Psalm? Well, here's a takeoff on it, guys, called the 23rd Pound. Listen to this. It's, I understand this. My appetite is my shepherd. I always want. It maketh me lie down and stuff myself. It leadeth me to my refrigerator repeatedly. <laughs> it leadeth me in the path of Burger King for a whopper. It destroyeth my shape. Yea, though I knoweth, I gaineth, <laughs> I will not stop eating. For the food tasteth so good. The ice cream and the cookies, they comfort me. When the table is spread before me, it exciteth me. For I knoweth that I sooneth shall dig in. <laughs> As I filleth my plate continuously, my clothes runneth smaller. Surely bulges and pudgies shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall be pleasingly plump. 
forever. Uh, wow, I resemble that at times. Um, as you look at Solomon here and as he writes, there are times in the Proverbs where he speaks about some meals that weren't pleasant. Uh, this is from Proverbs 17.1. He says, Better a dry crust with peace and quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. Guys, um, I guess my charge to you and to me too. A lot of times we're so busy we don't see the people we love. And one of the places we stop to see each other is for a meal. And let's cherish those times when you stop and have a meal with your loved ones. Make sure it's not a bunch of bickering. You know, you may need to just stop and say, guys, let's, let's not pick on each other or complain. Let's build each other up. You know, let's enjoy being together. God's allowed us to take this time together. Let's make use of that time. Let's not be like the father that, you know, he prayed and he said, God, thank you for loving us and giving us this precious food, God, and for being so good and gracious and kind and magnificent. And then he opened his eyes and said, when's the food coming? I hope it's better than it was last night. Man, it was lousy last night. Would you kids shut up? The little boy looks over and says, Dad, did God, do you believe God heard you when you prayed? And he goes, yeah. He said, do you believe God heard you when you just said what you just said to mom and us? He goes, yeah. He says, which do you think God believes? And guys, what do the people who love us believe about us? Do, do, do we encourage and edify, build up? That's the kind of, when you eat, man, it needs to be a time together with the people you love that builds up. That builds up. Alright, secondly here, um, is in marriage, there's to be joy in the family. Uh, notice what he says here, verse 9. Enjoy life with your wife whom you love all the days of this meaning life that God has given you under the sun. All your meaningless days. How do you add joy to a marriage? I just want to mention four things briefly. First is a Christ-centered marriage where both of you are humbly looking for God. Where you're being honest and saying, God, get a hold of my life, God. I'm going to give you freedom to help me see what I really look like and to give me the courage to change it if it doesn't match up with you. Man, there's a need for that. And it's not one way for there to be joy in a marriage. Both of you need to want God in your life. And that's critical. Secondly, um, there needs to be committed love. It is critical to be committed to one another. Uh, I love the story of the couple that was planning their wedding. And they worked on their wedding cake. And their desire was to have 1 John 4, 8 on the wedding cake, which says... There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Unfortunately, the wedding cake got smudged, and it said John 4.18. Instead of 1 John 4.18, John 4.18 reads, For you have had five husbands, and the man you have now is not your husband. <laughs> Whoops! Whoops! Um, you know what, though, guys? Doesn't long-term commitment in a marriage speak a wonderful testimony? We live in a world of casualties. I look around me and I see so many marriages that have fallen apart or look like they're in the process of falling apart. And what a testimony 
for those who are committed to one another through the years. We went a few weeks ago to Dwayne and Lib's uh, 50th wedding anniversary celebration. What a blessing. And there are several couples in our fellowship who have been together over 50 years. What a blessing. Guys, I want to just, you know, I want to applaud all you guys that have stuck it out, stuck together, have set an example to us who are, who are looking, because, you know, all the time there are people saying, I've had enough, I'm leaving. And what an example that you've stuck it out. Committed love. That brings joy to be able to look back through the years and say, Lord, thank you for keeping us together. Third is communication. Try to understand your spouse. Yeah. It can be tough, I know, because we're different. But God says, try, listen, you know, communicate with one another. Uh, Ed Weed, who's a marriage counselor, likes to say, adultery slays its thousands and silence its tens of thousands. Um, we need to talk to each other, husbands, wives. It's critical. And listen to each other. And fourth, be nice. Don't be mean to each other. Be nice. Be kind to each other. That carries so much weight. It brings the joy in the relationship to be kind to each other. Um, I love the story of the husband, his wife, she's tired, she's frustrated. He wanted her to know that he loved her. And so he got all romantic and, you know, he's not romantic, you know, he, he's the only part to take a shower. So he, he said, Lord, I gotta show my honey, my sweetie, I love her. So he went out and he bought her some flowers. He bought her some candy. He bought her a card. He wrote a real sweet note in the card. He got it all together, man. He got all fixed up, snuck home from work, came in the door. He hands her these gifts. He's all proud. And he says, hi, sweetie. I love you, honey bun. She looks at him and she goes, oh, and she just busts out crying. She said, it's been the worst day of my life. She said, first, the washing machine broke. The baby's been crying continuously. I can't console the babies driving me nuts. And now you come home drunk. <laughs> Obviously she wasn't used to nice. Be be nice. And then the fourth one here, guys. Um add joy in your career. Verse ten. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your I mean third one. Do it with all your might, for in the grave where you're going, there's neither working nor planning nor knowledge nor wisdom. Um Colossians three twenty three says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. It's easy for a job to come become mundane or boring. But may God help us to see our work as our worship as we work with all our hearts, it's a way to worship God. Give your best to Him, to the Lord. Man, that is so critical. Um, I ran across this cute thing. I'm, I'm, I'm getting near the end, guys. Hold on. Uh, a guy had given Boss to retiree as a symbol of gratitude a special gold watch he gave as a reminder of your service to this company. It needs a lot of winding up. It's always a little late. And every day at a quarter to five, it stops working. <laughs> Woo! And, uh, uh, but, you know, there can be a joy as we work unto the Lord. Now, anyway, I've gone through that. We've talked about death, and, you know, it's critical in order to know how to really live, you need to be ready to die. And the way to be ready to die is through Christ. Are you ready?
to meet Him. No one knows. I mean, I don't know exactly when I'm going to die. I don't know when you are. I have my choices. I have my opinions. God, I would like a painless death. I'd like it to be quick. But I don't know. But I do know that He has prepared a way for me to be with Him after then. And the best way to face death is through life. A life that is connected to Jesus. And as I come to the end of this message, I guess the challenge is take a hard look. First off, are you prepared to die? Have you done your preparation work? Have you trusted Christ so that you know you will be in heaven and that you will miss that appointed time of judgment that says a place of suffering that only comes by trusting Jesus Christ, who is God's provision. Have you done that? Do you know Him? And, and this invitation's for you, a chance to respond, to receive Him in your heart and clear all that up. Secondly, um, my charge is, uh, are you living? Are you living? Or are you so steeped in regret, you're like that centipede saying, which leg do I move first? Guys, um, Live. If there's anybody who should live life to the full, it is a child of God. It is a child of God. Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Have it to the full, max life. That's what He wants. Um, this invitation is for you. This altar's open. I don't know. If God's spoken to your heart, then say yes to Him. Let's pray. Lord, it's been good to be here today and to worship you, the true God. And Lord, uh, speak to us, God. Father, bring us to you. We need you, Lord. And I just pray this morning that hearts would say yes to the movement, the pull of your Holy Spirit, whether it's to come to this altar and to pray or whether it's to come before your people to make a public announcement of a private decision. And God, I just I just want you to work, God. I just want you to get the applause, the attention, the glory. And so Lord, have your way in this time. I know we've run over, but I just pray that you work. In your name we pray. Amen.